Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Usually people would think that it's too expensive to travel, but the only way you can find out is actually sitting down, seeing your expenses, what can you cut, what you can't, uh, and so forth. So having that a light discussion really helped us to like see whether it's possible or not. And then the other thing is, is like you can't have it all, right? So you have to understand what you can trade off. As we continue the Choosing a Life of Travel theme week here on the show, that was Mignot Lezhnev discussing some of the practicalities around making that transition to travel we love to talk about here on the Zero to Travel podcast in this episode. She's also joined by her husband, Sasha. They share a behind-the-scenes look at what it took for them to take a career break to travel as a family full-time with their five-year-old and share plenty of advice along the way for anyone else listening here today looking to do the same, plus their top 10 hidden gems in East Africa. You won't want to miss this. Among other things, you'll discover where to go to have the ideal safari experience, a standout Ethiopian destination that you won't see on any other top 10 lists, an incredible and affordable place to experience guerrilla trekking, two African cities worth spending time in, and much more. It's all happening in this show right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire no matter what your situation or experience. Did you know the capital and largest city in Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, means new flower, which I thought was symbolic of this week's theme, choosing a life of travel. New flowers bring new beauty and new life. And at any point in time, we have that opportunity to reinvent ourselves, to become new flowers. It's always an exciting thought. Our guest today, Sasha and Mignot Lezhnev, have spent a lot of time in East Africa. Mignot is from Ethiopia, and Sasha lived in Uganda, where he started a nonprofit that helped reintegrate over 2,500 former child soldiers. That's called the Grassroots Reconciliation Group. We talk about that today. Very interesting work. Uh, you also, of course, hear, as I mentioned, how they made the leap to full-time travel 
an incredible list of destinations and much more. One last thing, don't forget, if you want to sign up over at zerototravel.com slash newsletter, I know it's tough to keep track of a lot of these destinations mentioned in these episodes, so I'll be sure to send out that list when the show goes out to the newsletter so you can have that there. And stick around on the back end after the interview if you'd like. I am going to give a shout out to a listener who is turning lemons into travel lemonade. And I'll also leave you with two wise sayings, Ethiopian sayings, one of which reminds me of some of the late nights I've had out on the road. Stick around for that if you'd like. Without further ado, here's the conversation with Sasha and Mignot. I will see you on the other side, my friend. Thanks for listening. Sasha Imanyot Lezhnev, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you. <laughs> what an honor to chat with you guys. And there's a lot to talk about. I know we're going to do the top 10 hidden gems in East Africa, and you guys brought a whole list, and you've spent a lot of time in this region of the world. So, well, maybe we can start there. Why don't you explain your connection? I know, I know you. One of you grew up there, so. <laughs> yes, um, I am originally from Ethiopia. I was born and raised there um, before I moved to U.S. about 21 years ago uh, for higher education. So the connection, you know, is because I was born and raised in Ethiopia and I still have a family, so I go back and forth. Um, secondly, I also work in Africa, um, related to Africa and uh, work in sub-Saharan Africa for uh, education policy. So that's my connection with Africa. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we did not meet in Africa, but I um, was dating once some, you know, whatever, millennia ago and uh, put it on my <laughs> on my list that I, I definitely wanted to be in a relationship long-term with somebody who um, who had Africa in their in, in their heart was dead. It was dedicated or from, or, or somehow, um, really, really into Africa. So, um, I lived in Uganda for three years. My, my whole field is human rights in Africa. Um, I was there doing conflict resolution work. I ended up starting a nonprofit there and traveled kind of throughout the region. So, um, so, uh, we, we, uh, yeah, I, I got to know the region really well. Love it. I still go back pretty frequently, um, and, uh, we're, we're going for Christmas too. So we'll, we'll, we'll be over there again. Cool. Where did you guys meet? Can you tell us the meeting story? <laughs> <laughs> the short, the short of it, the end of it is we, we met at a beer garden. Okay. <laughs> it was, yeah. The first date was supposed to be a coffee shop and the coffee shop closed within, um, like 10 minutes or something. So like the only place nearby was a beer garden <laughs> and she doesn't drink beer. Ha ha. Right. <laughs> so we, we met in Washington, DC. Yes. I guess working in the same sort of fields in a way connection there. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we were both working on Africa. I was working on sort of human rights stuff. Minya was doing education stuff. Um, and uh, so, you know, DC is such a, melting pot, melting pot for people working, you know, internationally. So, um, so we, yeah, we met online, we met on match.com and, and Minyot uh, was on like a free, a free weekend. Um, and so, uh, thankfully I got her cause she didn't even pay for like messages. She could only message me that one, that one weekend. <laughs> so, but it worked <laughs> out. I mean, you know, who had to talk 
who into doing the nomad thing? No, I think uh, we both want it. We're really passionate about um, travel and um, we have seen met uh, other travelers in our um, small vacation that we took here and there. Um, so we started the conversation and landed on your actually podcast and started listening to your podcast over and over again. And I, I remember making a decision um, was after one of your podcasts. So we're like, why can't we be one of those people? Um, but it, it was a long process. It was a long conversation. It didn't happen overnight, obviously. Um, and then, of course, the COVID uh, happened and that pushed us a little bit um, to that making a decision quickly yeah yeah it was interesting so so you're from philly right jason yeah yeah so do you ever go um have you ever been to assateague uh island uh like on the on the uh on the eastern shore there is that where the horses run wild yes, yes. yes. yeah no i've never been there but i've always wanted to go well there you go you, you've traveled around the world but you missed the the greatest hidden gem of the East Coast. Dang. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was 2020. We um, we we needed a break from you know hanging out at our home like for whatever 90 days straight. Um, and so we we did a little camping trip. Uh, and you could camp on the beach there for whatever 20 bucks a night. And they're and they're usually pretty pretty uh, enough spots available. Um, and so we're, we, I don't know how we found your podcast. It's an interesting question. Do, do, you, do you remember? No. No. Somehow, maybe somebody had mentioned, I don't know. Anyway, so we, we were like listening to your, it's a three hour drive out there. And we saw a bunch of RVs as we're, as we're driving. And uh, it was some, some couple you had on who was doing art on the road. I can't remember the name, their names. In fact, I don't remember the names of hardly any of your guests unless the, unless I've connected with them. And, um, but they were great. Um, and we were like, wow, these people are doing art on the road and, and, and they're, they're, they're surviving. They're, they're making some, they're generating some income enough to survive. Um, and, uh, and then we saw all these RVs. We're like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe there's, there's something we can do there. So, uh, so we found this RV called Lazy Days. That's literally the brand. Um, and and so we're like, ah, that's that's a that's a sign. <laughs> we got to get I mean, one. So we did. Talk about 20, some 20, killer bucks. branding. That's a I great know, branding. I know. I know. <laughs> so you bought an RV. Yes, we did. Yeah, we bought the Lazy yeah. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Was the RV decision because I know you guys are traveling with a child, so you know, that's uh, nice to have your own space, I guess. Was that the driver for that mode of transport, that decision? Yeah. And then we were thinking it was during COVID, right? So we couldn't go any other place. And lastly, it's because we were thinking of a, a year uh, of travel, um, slow travel. Um, so that's the decision because we already knew that we wanted to leave our jobs and just travel at least minimum for a year that ended up being two years but yeah yeah and we, we'd been to like a bunch of countries outside the U.S. and we wanted to do more domestic travel and you know during COVID that just seemed like a great great combination we for, for my birthday every year which is around Labor Day weekend like early September um we we always go hiking out west so we you know been to Olympic we did some ice climbing on Mount Hood we we did Yellowstone. I, I took Minyo for our first camping trip a long time ago um, in, in Yellowstone. We were like holding our bear canisters at night. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> pretty hilarious. 
Um, and so we're just like, yeah, we want to go, we want to go to all those places that we haven't been yet and, uh, and, and let the kiddo explore. We were paying all this exorbitant money in childcare, um, for preschool here. So we're like, let's, let's dump that cost and, and, uh, and, and buy an RV instead. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, uh, brings up a point. I call these substitution costs there. Well, there's costs that you would have if you were on the road anyway, right? Like you're, you're going to buy food, whether you're traveling and buying food or you're at home buying food. So that's like a wash, right? And then if you go nomadic, like you guys have, like you mentioned, the childcare is a great example. If you're paying multiple thousands of dollars a month, well, now you don't have to pay that. That just goes right into your travel budget or towards your RV or whatever. I know that's obvious, but I think it's worth pointing out because when you start kind of thinking that way, travel first, I feel like you start to see your things you're spending money on and the, the lifestyle a bit differently, I feel. Well, Mignot, you mentioned kind of the struggle, some of the struggles of, you know, you said it didn't happen overnight, I think was the words that you used as far as the the journey to long-term travel. I have some questions about your work and stuff too, and then we're going to get into this list, but I just wanted to hear a bit of your advice around the transition to travel, which is a popular topic here, because that is never a clear cut kind of thing. Uh, it sounds like you guys are both on the same page and another couple, sometimes it's, it's not the case. And then there's decisions to make, and I'm sure a lot of things happening. And then there's the emotions around leaving your job and all that kind of stuff. I, I just wanted to hear a bit more about your experience with that whole process. Yeah, definitely. So for us, um, we were a bit of uh, adventurous in a way. Uh, long ago, we discussed about travel and uh, we wanted to do the Silk Road. Um, we mapped it out, and the costs of it. And then at that time, we were just, um, um, you know, not new, but like we were working toward um, going up the ladder in our um, perspective um, uh, jobs but uh, at that time it didn't make sense um for us to do that um so the challenges are like i think the hardest part people have or that we faced is there's never a perfect time to make a decision um so instead of waiting for a perfect time just think of it like okay usually people would think that it's too expensive to travel but the only way you can find out is actually sitting down, seeing your expenses, what can you cut, what you can't, uh, and so forth. Um, so having that a light discussion really helped us to like see whether it's possible or not. Um, and then the other thing is, is like you can't have it all, right? So you have to understand what you can trade off. And then what brings you more happiness than like owning a house, a car or whatever the case may be. And for us at that time, we have stayed in our position or in our prospective work for a very long time. So it made it, it makes it easier for us to like, okay, to have a break and see um, what's out there. Um, and then Personally, for me, I went back to the same job that I left because I really enjoyed it. I like working with the people and the cause. So I just went back. Um, but ha having those decisions, having a, a discussion, an honest discussion, and um, sometimes also um, explaining some of the fears that I had before we started uh, really helped me uh, talking uh, with uh, Sasha because... Um, 
you know, I haven't seen most um, African-Americans traveling um, throughout um, the country. So like it was a, a, it was a bit of a consideration for me, like going out way in the West um, was a, a bit of a challenge in my mind, right? It's all uh, related to fear, right? Until you try it, you don't know. So all the expectation or the worries that I have, um, once we took a leap of faith, I realized like it was just in my head, not necessarily that things would happen. Um, and people are people. Uh, I actually found it to really appreciate um, that everyone is nice as long as you're nice to them too. That's that's one of the things that I realized. I'll say, okay, okay, why am I worrying too much? But that really helped having a, an open conversation and making sure that we're both comfortable before we made that decision together. So, yeah. I th- just to add to what you said, I, you know, a couple things. I, number one is we kind of sat down and, and thought about what are the things that have made us the happiest over the past, you know, whatever, seven years of marriage or nine years of relationship that we that we had. And uh, almost all of them related to uh, great travel experiences, especially outdoors. Um, you know, hiking or mountain climbing, or you know, we have a lot of failed mountain climbing stories, which <laughs> which we can get into. Um, but uh, even those were 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 you know basically our best experiences, and yet we were sort of um, you know spending actually most of our time just being stressed out at, at our jobs. And, and we, we were both pretty passionate about our jobs. You know, I was doing human rights investigations in Africa, and Mignot was helping on education in Africa. But we just done them for quite a long time. Um, and so we're like, well, you know, can we take a little sabbatical? Um, and we put a time cap on it. I think that was important. And then we sat down with an Excel sheet, which was like probably the, the trigger was like, wait a minute, we can actually do this for our budget was $36,000 for the year for the whole family, not including the, the cost of the RV. Cause we'd sell the RV for more or less what we got it for, which is what we're about to do. But um, and, and we probably sell it for even more than we got it for, at least that's the, <laughs> but, um, uh, y- you know, basically like, let's just, you know, dive deeper into those happy experiences. And that's kind of what we did. And, and then you realize like, I mean, which is what many of your guests say too, is like, you know, there's travel fatigue. You're not going to have these absolutely amazing experiences every single day. You need downtime. Like we, you know, we watched a bunch of, um, uh, Netflix shows in the back of RV because it's like you know you have to have your downtime too. But um, but but nonetheless, like we were able to 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 have these these wonderful experiences. Now it seems almost like did I actually do this? Because now we're back home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we're we're very grateful that we did. Yeah, you're in like the did that just happen? <laughs> like was that a dream? It's interesting to hear that the practical exercises you guys mentioned, like the Excel sheet and going through the budget and stuff like that, was actually the thing that made it real. I think that's the thing that's the easiest to put off, right? Because you have the dreaming thing. Oh, that's fun. I can go here, look at this guidebook, do that. But it's actually doing the practical stuff that gives you the momentum to fulfill the dream, I feel. I've heard that quite a bit as like a theme in this show. So you weren't working. This was essentially a sabbatical. Like you said, you were totally free, right? So that must have been... A wonderful gift for you guys as a family, the three of you, and also for yourselves to give you a chance to, I'm sure, process some of the 
career stuff and life stuff and things like that. How was the the time away? You know, even just outside of the travel, but just the the, the sort of the bubble of time you gave yourself to have time together as a family and, and things like that. How has that impacted you in your lives? I think it's, uh, as, as you said, it's an a, a incredible experience that we have, especially to see our child, you know, in front of us yeah. growing. Spending all this time together, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, that was, you know, at the end of the day, we always practice um, gratitude. And that was our gratitude, um, saying like spending time and seeing him explore. Um I think that helped us now, you know, coming back. Uh, we always try to make time to, to go outside, even if it's at the end of the day. That, that connection um, within our family to explore and be in the nature is, is one of um, our relaxing family activities every day, even now. Um, so that kind of helped us in, in a way to see the light um, yeah, yeah. I would say for me, um, I was pretty stressed out. He was doing a great, you know, good work, but um, pretty stressed out doing it, I guess. Um, so I think this, I think that, well, I think both years, because the next year we tried to make it sustainable, we were working on the road. Um, so we, we did a, we did another year on the road um, for, from an idea, based on an idea that we heard from your show, actually, um, somebody did a, like a month at a time in some of their favorite places or places they wanted to live. So that's what we did um, for the second year, um, after we ran out of money. Um, but, but, it, but both years, I, sh- I would say that, um, has helped me become, become like a much more patient person. I was the, I was the homeschool dad, um, for the second year and, and spending all that time, you know, in the mornings with my kid reading to him and all that. Um, and, and just, you know, realizing that like life is not going to end if the, this little thing doesn't happen, I need to blow up. Um, you know, all those things. So that's really, that's really helped. And I think those things are, are carrying forward now. I think also, you know, strangely enough, um, valuing our friendships more. Um, it was interesting, you know, you, you go on travel, you see all these amazing places and, and no one talks about the people. Uh, but actually, as it turns out, like the people is maybe either, either the most important or the, or the, you know, e- equally important to the, the places you're seeing. And so we were able to see friends who had moved away on the road and really reconnect with them, but also really valuing our friendships here now. I think we're really investing. We feel like we're investing back in our old friendships and, and really spending quality time with people where I, I don't think we valued that as much before. We we saw people, but it was always like, oh, what's the next thing? What are you doing? You know, are you, Am I competing with somebody? And now it's like, you're really trying to soak up that time. I, I, I feel a bit different um, that way after a couple of years of travel. Almost like the uh, the rhythm of life has been slowed down in a way. Yeah, I think in a way, like we are trying to be mindful um, to live in the present, not like thinking what's out there, what do we need to do, but like making sure whoever we're connecting be very meaningful in a way to really connect and deepen our friendship, um, even family members and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel that way when you go back to Philly or I don't know if you have a lot of people back in Philly anymore? No, it's been a while, but yeah, I think travel makes you appreciate your home base too. So that's another one of those. I mean, or, or it makes you realize you shouldn't live there. 
right? <laughs> either yeah. way, it makes you, either way, it leads to something. We're going to do it again, though. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I mean, I've never talked to an expert on crafting peace strategies to deal with warlords in collapsing states. I never talked to an expert on dealing with warlords. Some of your work, Sasha, has been pretty interesting in terms of the work that you're doing around former... You can talk a bit about it. I mean, the former child soldiers and refugees. I read the story of Betty really quickly on the, on the website for the grassrootsgroup.org. And that was... I mean, I just burst out into tears immediately because I'm just like, this is... This is, and I'm only getting the summary of her life, you know, in a couple paragraphs, and that was enough to send me over the edge. So, and both of you can can share a bit more because it's easy to gloss over like the, well, you know, we're stressed out at work and all this stuff and, you know, we're taking this break, but I just wanted to get into a bit more of the specifics of the intensity of the job and, and some of the joys and some of the intense things about it. And maybe you could, you both can share a bit more about what you've been doing and yeah, just curious to hear more. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for asking, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, well, you know, my journey in Africa started uh, in 2000. Uh, I was I went to Ghana to help build a school as one of these volunteer programs, um, and uh, I had a sort of a near death experience um, with it. 
I got some really bad stomach bug and uh, ended up to get hospitalized and uh, the electricity went out in the hospital and and they were going to operate and it, it was a whole big mess that really? I ended up. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, wow. pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, How old were you? I uh, was, I guess, 20. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. It was, it was, uh, it was quite an experience. And um, I remember, you know, getting out of there. Finally, I spent a week in the hospital um, and I kissed the ground when I came back to the US. Um, I was so happy to be back. And I think, you know, your life can kind of go in two different directions after that. You're like, oh, I'm going to be super cautious and never, um, never go back. Just, you know, that, that, that's a crazy place. Um, but actually, like I kind of dedicated a lot of my life to um, helping um, things in Africa after that. So then I moved after that. I, I sort of really got into conflict resolution, um, studying, and then I moved to Uganda uh, for almost, it was supposed to be for a year, ended up to be almost three. Um, and, you know, once you hear the stories of people who've been affected by conflict or poverty or, you know, exploitation, uh, you, you, you can't get those things out of your head. You have to you feel like I think it's just within us that you feel like you got to do something about it. And so I tried little things. I did a little fundraising thing like help refugees. And so you raised, you know, whatever, 500 bucks. And I knew some local people we could give it to. Um, and then but being there, interviewing all these people, um, working with them through I was part of a, a little little aid projects, basically, um, you, you know, I, I sort of a friend of mine and I, we came together and we realized we could do something concrete. Um, and so we, we started this, this project is within a, a bigger aid organization. And then we, we founded this nonprofit on our own. It's called grassroots reconciliation group. Um, and we did that, uh, 16 years ago and it's, it's still going basically with the idea that, um, these former child soldiers, once they're abducted, um, they, uh, a lot of them escape and then they come back home and you think, oh, the community is going to help them. But it's actually the opposite, uh, that, that they're, they're stigmatized and obviously they have a lot of trauma. They're forced to, you know, kill people or do all kinds of things. Um, and so when they come back home, they have all these issues. And so, you know, we set up programs to work with them in their home communities, like so that they can do joint projects with um, the, the host, the host community. So they do farming projects, brick making projects, trauma counseling projects. Um, and, and like the woman you mentioned, Betty is somebody who I met last year or visiting Mignot's family in Ethiopia. And I took a little qu qu quick trip over to Uganda. Um, and, and like many people, she said, you know, yeah, I was on the verge of suicide. Like my community had rejected me. I'd been raped many, many times by somebody who I was forced um, to be a, a, a so-called wife of a, a rebel commander. Um, and, you know, you guys brought me out of my house. Now I'm like, a, I counsel other people who are going through these similar issues. Um, I have a little income from this project. Um, and so, yeah, we've helped about 2,500 people like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a small, small project, but a way to contribute to, to peace out there. Um, and, and my career more generally has kind of been focused on peace building and, and, you know, helping, uh, try to, to come up with different ways of, of, of crafting peace. As you said, I wrote, so I wrote a book, um, about 15 years ago on this subject, 
Um, it was kind of based on Sierra Leone and Tajikistan. Um, I went to Sierra Leone. I couldn't get to Tajikistan. I, 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 they didn't give me a visa. <laughs> but, um, you know, the fact that you that, that there are actually solutions to conflicts where there's warlords. So I, I was at the time working on Somalia and was like, this seems so intractable. Are there places that we can to look to for lessons? And in fact, there are. Um, and Sierra Leone was resolved. Tajikistan is peaceful as well. Sierra, actually, I, we started this new website. And Sierra Leone is like one of the hidden gems of Africa that we list uh, because uh, it's actually now a tourist destination or becoming one. So yeah, the book I I, I highlighted some of the summary because I I was surprised to see that you wrote a whole book on this topic because it's nothing I'm familiar with. But it's you said crafting peace presents a new way of looking at eliminating warlords and restoring peace in war torn states. That will prove essential to both scholars and practitioners in international relations and political science. I just thought it was really cool to dig into this a bit because you hear people talk about, you know, trying to come up with ways that we can create peace among nations or among warring factions or whatever the case is. And now you're hearing like a concrete example of how somebody is doing that. And I just thought that was really interesting. Thanks. I, I would just add to that. You had a, a great guest on recently who was um, who had been living in Sudan. I think I had to free, flee. Um, I think her name was Jacqueline or Jackie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a great, great podcast. Um, and, and this same problem is, is happening in Sudan now um, and, and other countries. Um, and, uh, but I, I think one of the biggest ways that can, that, that, that can be impacted is through the cutting off of the finances. These people are making money off of, of uh, the human rights abuses, they, they'll sell. So in Sudan, some of the biggest warlords, um, uh, like in Sierra Leone, they sold diamonds, so they're selling gold. Um, so I've done a lot of work on this whole issue of blood gold, conflict gold, um, and that gold reaches us, um, and there are ways to, to, to have an impact on that. So I still consult for my old job. I, I'm not on it full time, uh, but that's, that's one of the things that we do is to try to help cut off the the finances of some of these warlords. It's called the Century. Um, it was, it was co our, our co-founder is some actor you may have heard of with uh, <laughs> the name George Clooney. So, oh, okay, yeah, Minyota, I wanted to hear a bit more about your relationship with your job because you mentioned going back after a year. What kind of realizations did you come to and from being away? And you know, I know there's people out there listening that consider a break and the value of a break. And I'm just curious in your experience how that impacted your your career so for me um you know one thing you have to realize is like leaving something doesn't necessarily mean like it's the end of it it's not like a divorce you know it's <laughs> it's a sector that i've always been passionate about um it's education um and i have seen like how it has transformed my father's life he was from a very small village where there was only a primary school and he has to go to another city to in order for him to go to, you know, higher education, stuff like that. Um, so I've always been passionate. I always know that, you know, by giving uh, an opportunity for kids to learn how to read, we have done our part in a way. So I, I work with the international um, development here, um, that focuses on uh, education. Part of my job is education, but of course the humanitarian, um, we provide humanitarian assistance as well. 
Um, so coming back for me, I realized, of course, I could have applied for many other jobs. But, um, you know, I just realized I, I really enjoyed what I'm working on and I wanted to continue to provide um, support uh, in, a, in a way to Sub-Saharan Africa. And that has always been my um, sector and that's what I've focused for the past 12 years. So it gave me an appreciation even more, uh, realizing like, although I have other opportunities, I still wanted to go back and contribute and doing what I do um, among others. Yeah. You guys have done so much good stuff. I'm basically talking to two angels here. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> no, it's no, pretty, it's pretty awesome, normal man. I mean, in DC, man. This is a, we, we, we live the normal DC life. <laughs> well, I know when we were um, talking, you guys mentioned doing this gratitude thing at dinner. I said, oh, we do the same thing. We say try to say things we're grateful for. And if you're listening to this, you could just hearing some of the stories and you know things that are going on in the world. It's just a reminder of like how how lucky we're. And when my daughter's complaining about going to school, I'm like, do you know there's kids that would just, they would just do anything to be able to go to school and learn? And you know, I give her like the parental guilt trip, but you know, got to do it. Uh, <laughs> By the way, that is something we picked up from your show again. Uh, is yeah, we we so I guess both of us, both of our families do this every dinner. We sit around. I don't know how many how many examples you guys give. We try to do three each, and, and our our son is always the first to raise his hand. Okay, who you know who's who wants to say what they're grateful for today? He's always like, "Yes, me first, me first. So uh, hopefully that will be <laughs> that's nice. Ingrained, oh, ingrained good. Yeah. Lately, my kids are just saying they're grateful for their uh, stuffed animal, their favorite stuffed animal. I'm just like, this is this is beginning to be a lazy answer. Like we're going to have to start digging deeper a little bit here. Um, <laughs> Our kid usually says, I'm grateful for the cows who, who gave us the <laughs> Nice. <milk." laughs> yeah. I mean, so now something... he's no longer allowed to say cows. <laughs> <laughs> cows are forbidden. Okay. You guys started off the beaten travel.com, right? So the idea there is to sort of curate these hidden gems from a community, if, if I'm reading it correctly. I know you do photography as well, Sasha. Are, are you all in on this type of stuff or I'm not really sure. Yeah. Just business wise, what you're up to. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I do three things right now. I consult for my old job. Um, I run the nonprofit you mentioned grassroots reconciliation group. Um, and then I'm, I'm doing this. I started this new websites. I'm, I'm trying to focus, I, I should say on, on this as a new venture, as a, as an entrepreneur, um, for now and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, but the, the, yeah, the concept is, um, basically turning what we love to do, uh, into some sort of a, a, a possible, uh, business. So, you know, we love uh, finding hidden gems everywhere we go, whether it's a city or a, a park, uh, you know, or, or a, a, a random, um, place and finding you know the hidden gems out there. So it's it, the concept is kind of basically similar to Atlas Obscura, and I know you've had the Atlas Obscura folks on, uh, but not for obscure things, for things that are kind of you know a little bit off the beaten track. <laughs> um, so whether you know, like I have a hidden gems Paris in there. Paris is obviously not a hidden gem, but there are hidden gems within Paris. So things that are kind of um, uh, you know. I think you've said it on the show, even getting off the main street can be a hidden gem if you're looking for a restaurant or something like that. Um, or, or maybe a whole region is a hidden gem, like Central Asia, I think, is a, is a 
to the hidden gem region. So um, that's, you know, and, and, and we're, we're having guest bloggers. That's the, kind of the point. It's supposed to be a hub, right? So like I have about 25 blogs in the hopper. We started with 11 um, and we're, we're, we, we, we're having guest blogs from all over the place and, and we'd welcome guest blogs from all over the place. So the first one was on Uzbekistan. We have Abu Dhabi hidden gems coming tomorrow. Um, hidden gem locations within Southeast Asia. Um, I have somebody doing an Antarctica blog. Obviously, there, I don't think there are any hidden gems in Antarctica, but you know, ways to visit Antarctica in a non-traditional way, something like that. So, um, so that's the that's the concept. So, yeah, I mean, we're just starting out, but but we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes. And I know you guys just hit forty-four states, thirty-four national parks, and an RV. And then you were living a month in each of your favorite spots. You know, all that being said, though, we were kind of back and forth like, what should we do? Where should we focus the hidden gems on? And since we haven't done a ton of content in Africa in terms of destinations, I thought, well, this would be a good opportunity because you guys are, you know, you've spent a lot of time there and you're, you've been traveling a lot and you've had the real authentic experiences all over the place. So you mentioned this list focusing primarily on Ethiopia, Uganda, Zanzibar, and hidden gems in Nairobi as well. Is that uh, correct? Should we, should we dive in? I, I, I was hoping this is like a countdown 10 to 1. Is this like a, the, this is the number one hidden gem? Is it like that? Or is it just sort of... You got it, man. We've, we've okay, listened to cool. enough of your shows to know the countdown. So we're, we're ready, to, ready to rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Give us your number 10. Was, was it fun putting together the list? I mean, these lists are a blast, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> this is our this is our 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 favorite and home sort of pseudo home region. So, okay, right, you want to start? Well, let's hear it. Okay, so our first pick is Denakul. It's um, the lowest um, uh, portion of Ethiopia. Um, it is actually it's like a, a hundred meters lower uh, than the like the sea level. Uh, it's in the northern part of Ethiopia, closer to the Eritrea border and the Afar region. Um, we picked, like, I, growing up from Ethiopia, I didn't know that, um, you know, I learned about it, but I completely forgot it existed. And it was not available because of, um, you know, roads were not available then. Um, and flights were very limited at that time. So we had an opportunity to go together and... Um, come to find out it was it felt like going to I would say Mars <laughs> because um, it was just uh, a great an experience to see the volcano at one point and then you go to the salt lake um, and then um, getting to see um, the culture the Afar culture is also completely different in a way from parts of the Ethiopian culture so we had um, a bit of experience looking at um, all those angles, but I, I don't know if you wanted to add as a, yeah, I mean, for the, the thing that is really striking for me about this region is it's uh, the closest you can get to like an active uh, volcano in the world. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. We we're sort of volcano junkies. You're a travel junkie, J Jason, we're volcano junkies. So this was the coolest one. I mean, the 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 pro, my profile picture on Instagram is me standing in front of this volcano, and you're literally like 20 feet away, um, and you go kind of at dusk, and and then 
you get there and the and the and you see the as the sun sets it becomes this orange this magical orange glow and you see the bubbles and like we were recently in Hawaii and we saw Kilauea volcano erupting and that's cool but you're almost a mile away or I don't know half a mile these are really far uh, but this one is literally in your face in fact I was walking around um, and almost fell in so yeah well oh, gosh okay <laughs> don't fall into a volcano please exactly. <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a pretty amazing experience so obviously things awesome. in Ethiopia are a little unstable at the moment so um, when we published our article you could go there um, but it's it's a it's a a changing situation. So, you know, okay. check, check the local conditions before you go. But We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Number nine. Okay, so number nine is um, the east and south of Zanzibar. Um, so uh, when I lived, take in us New there. What are, what are we what are we finding? <laughs> take us there. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I lived in Uganda, uh, Zanzibar was the coolest place you could go on vacation. So I went three times. Minya went as well. Um, Zanzibar is is part of Tanzania, so it, it is on the Indian Ocean, the east coast of Africa. Um, it's a fascinating island. It's got this amazing. Um, unique culture. It's Swahili culture, which is um, Arab and African cultures mixed. It was actually colonized by the Omani Sultanate uh, some, some many years ago. Um, and Zanzibar is a, so that I'm going to focus on the East and South um, where you have these super long, some hidden, some not so hidden beaches. Um, but really, really like the, the, that, that watercolor that you see in the TV ads basically um, and you can go out and swim for, I don't know, like a mile maybe, um, or half a mile, something like that without getting any sort of a wave. 
Um, they have the, there's this phenomenal place where I took my mom, um, where they had no air conditioning, but uh, (laughs) the best sushi of your life is a Japanese lady who married a Zanzibari and runs this place called Paradise Beach Bungalows. And uh, I think we paid like, I don't know, 30 bucks a night or something um, to stay. But uh, they'll literally come to your breakfast table and they say, what kind of, what's your favorite fish? What do you want to have for dinner? And we're like, oh, this is like, okay, great. We'll catch it. We'll go and catch it tonight and we'll, we'll, we'll fix uh, sushi from it. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. It's uh, absolutely incredible. And, then, and there's all kinds of other things like, you know, you sit in the beach and like you get your little henna tattoo, you can rent a bike. Like it's, it's very chill and relaxed. Um, and some of the East, it's about, I think, two hours or so from Stonetown uh, is becoming a little bit crowded. So the South of Zanzibar is kind of the new um, hidden gem out there where the beaches are like, you know, the, the hidden gem beaches. So, Okay, cool. Giving people plenty of fodder for their bucket lists or their, their live lists or whatever you want to call it. You know, the handful of times I went fishing, I can tell you I couldn't pick the fish I caught. I could only just hope that I caught one. So that's a, that's exactly. pretty incredible. That's epic. All right. Number eight. Okay. Number eight. So uh, I'm going to do this one and then Mignon's going to do the next one. So the next one is in, let's move over to Uganda. Uganda is still in East Africa. It's landlocked. Um, so there's, there are beaches, but they're on Lake Victoria. So, and you probably shouldn't swim in them because of this worm. But anyways, um, there's a great place that I actually never went to when I lived in Uganda. It took me like visiting for the 10th time after I moved back to actually go there. Um, it is, uh, one of the few places in the world where you can walk around in the wild with white rhinos called the Ziwa Rhino Sanctuary. And they, they, so rhinos are obviously very endangered. Um, they can't keep them out in complete wild. Otherwise poachers will get them, but this is kind of as wild as you can get. And so you, there, there, there are people that go and track them within this pretty big sanctuary, but it's not a national park and it's pretty, you know, off the beaten track, so to speak. Like it's not super close to anything. Uh, but it is a really cool place to go. And, and, and then you go walk around with them. Um, and there was a rhino fight when we were there. And so, the guy's like, okay, just get right next to the tree because apparently they have really bad eyesight, and so these these rhinos will charge. But if they if they're charging, like they're not, they don't distinguish you from the tree. So and they're not going to hit the tree. So you just back up along the tree. But it's it's, it's a really, really cool place. <laughs> <laughs> just stand behind this tree. You'll be. I fine. think it's like forty bucks or something. Um, it's a really awesome experience. Ziwa Rhino Sanctuary in northern Uganda. So incredible. All right. Number seven. So um, we were discussing when we were coming up with this list, um, you know, many people, when they're thinking of Africa, they were thinking of safari and like, oh, let's just go to safari. But we start uh, appreciating cities as well. Um, You know, we have the tendency whenever we travel back to Ethiopia to see my family, we'll just see them and then explore that outside, um, outside of the capital city. Um, but there was time that I think, uh, because of the insecurity at that time, uh, we ended up staying in Addis the entire time that we were there, um, and then start exploring. And for the first time, we had a, a greater appreciation for the city because it, it shows a different culture. Um, we didn't know there was a, a huge jazz scene, 
uh, and others. Um, so we are very uh, big on jazz. So we explore those. Um, the food uh, scenery is just amazing. Um, of course, um, you know, injera is our traditional uh, food. But beyond that, um, there are many, many uh, cuisines that we were able to try. Um, also, there is um, what we call the alabar. It's a, it's a almost a big garden, but it's not beer. It's like fermented, um, you know, alcohol. That's I, I don't know if I should say beer, but it's something. The local beer. Yeah. yeah. So there's that scene also um, that we went uh, and explore. And there are many um, parks right now in the city. So you could um, explore uh, the newest park, that um, Unity. We were very surprised to see, like, um, unfortunately, there were, uh, we realized, uh, you know, trees have been removed um, because there is a huge expansion in the city. But they were also to um, secure uh, greeneries for those um, parts. So those were really, really nice if you have a, a day or two in Addis to explore. Yeah, amazing. All right, number six. Okay, number six is, um, I think when a lot of people go on safari, they have this image of, you know, them in the wild alone, you know, lions roaring um, and, uh, and, and seeing the animals being, you know, sort of going in this experience as if it were a National Geographic episode. And then when they actually get there, they're like 25 land cruisers around, you know, all these photographers, radios, video cameras. It's just, you know, completely different, right? Um, you ever been on safari, Jason? No. Oh, well, okay. Well, I, I would I, love to go. Now I know why you wanted the, the hidden gems of East Africa list. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, man. You have to tell me, you have to tell us which one was your favorite. But um, so, uh, but this park is exactly that experience. So you, um, it's called Kidepo National Park in Uganda. It's in northeast Uganda in the Karamoja region. Um, no one goes there. And they have all the all the animals, all the big five animals. Um, you can there is a lodge, um, but you can also sleep on um, tent platforms, and you actually hear the lions roaring at night. Um, it is really that experience that I think everybody dreams of when having a, when going on safari. Um, you can fly there, you can drive there. Um, it's it's a remote area. It used to be completely insecure. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm not guaranteeing anybody's security, but it's, um, it's, it's safe to go to plenty of people go there. Um, now it's, it's just more remote. Um, so you have to spend some more time going there, but you know, it's, it's, uh, one of those places that's, that's absolutely worth it. So, um, you can, you have your picnic out in the, in the, in the bush, so to speak. It's, it's really that, that real nature experience with the animals and the you know, giraffes, lions, etc. like they're, and they're still pretty wild out there. So. Sign me up. That sounds perfect. <laughs> I'll go into the tents. I want to hear the lions roaring. Okay. Number five. Wow, that sounds like a number one to me. I, I'm, what's, what's the number one going to be? <laughs> Suspense is killing me. All right. Number five. We're almost halfway done. Okay. So we're going to share this one. So um, we talked about Zanzibar, the beaches. So now Zanzibar town, they call it Stone Town, um, is, our, is our number five. So um, uh, yeah, Zanzibar is really cool. It's, and it's, it's this town, it's, it's somewhat big, but you really get a sense of the culture. Um, this, this Arab 
African Swahili culture there. You you walk you wander around these narrow streets. You can smell. So Zanzibar was famous for being like at the center of the spice trade, and so you can um, you can go on a spice tour. Actually, that was one of the coolest things. I, I went with my mom, and uh, and they'll they'll you know like cloves, lemongrass, all these things that they got from. Um, East Asia and India and brought brought to Africa. And this was the place where they brought them. And so now they're growing them out there. Um, you can smell the spices as you're walking through the streets. People light up the incense and that sort of thing. Zanzibar has the most incredible old doors also. Um, these like ancient wooden doors, um, like the coolest that I think we've ever seen. So I don't know. Oh, when... Yeah, I, I think for me, like... Um... It's just that, that the Arab influence um, that they had and the spices is like they have an open market where you see like hundreds and hundreds of spices and they're very colorful. And I remember it was a rainy day when I went there, but just walking in the street in the rain and just smelling that just brings back like this beautiful memory of like culture, but then, you know, it's borrowed from somewhere else. So it was it was a really interesting um, town and the majority of the people there are Muslim so there's that culture too uh, so it was very interesting walking um, like it feels like a, an old city and you're walking in 17th century yeah, yeah. and I, I, I would just add that the I think the coolest hotel that I've ever stayed at I we hardly ever stay in hotels we're like total Airbnb people but um this is uh, the coolest hotel I think I've ever stayed in was in Zanzibar. It's called the Emerson Hotel. Um, it's actually founded by a couple of Americans. And um, you, you stay in these rooms. Each one ha- like feels like an old Zanzibari palace. And so you like one of them has um, uh, it's, it's like on the, the, the bow, on the on the roof. And you have your like own private breakfast with this curtains and the the wood and like the local s- s- spice smells, etc. Um, uh, the, there's a, they have these special keys, like master's keep keys. It's really cool. I'm I'm not doing it justice. Sorry. Okay. No, I mean, it sounds <laughs> incredible. It's hard. You know, I, you're painting the picture well. Trust me. All right, we got four more left. Number four. Okay, so um, as Minyot said. Um, I think a lot of people go to Africa just just to see animals. And we're talking about animals, but um, the cities are actually where so much is happening. And and if you don't hit cities as well, you're really missing out on the culture. So Nairobi, Kenya, uh, where where a lot of people land and then, you know, basically go straight to the Maasai Mara or Serengeti um, is is an amazing city. Um, Some of the best coffee in the world is in um, is in Nairobi, and it's not just exported. They have great coffee shops. Um, the Kenya National Theater is a place where you can see um, local dancing, culture, um, theater performances. There's actually a safari park if you if you're dying to see animals um, inside the city. I actually saw. I happened. I I, I was there for a conference, um, and uh, I took a taxi, a Toyota Corolla taxi, um, to for a day. Um, to, to go to the park and um, there was a lion fight and this this taxi driver is like uh, we, we got to get out of here I'm like oh no 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 this is what I came for <laughs> and so I'm hanging out the window and this one lion is coming down the hill to fight with another lion uh, and over over a female of course 
And the taxi driver is literally trying to drive away as I'm like, you know, shooting out. It was wild. Um, so you can see that uh, there's some amazing restaurants um, and Kenyan music is awesome. Um, this great sort of East African hip hop. Um, and uh, and you and you got to go dancing in Nairobi. It's a lot of fun. It's very, very lively. I would come from Kampala where I lived in Uganda to go to Nairobi just to hang out and, and, and have fun. It's it's it's, it's really lively. So. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Where in, in those types of locations around the world, there's the tendency to just skip over the city and go right to the main attraction, let's call it. But that brings up a really good point to just uh, check out the cities, even if you're not a city person, which I understand. I understand. Okay, we're in our top three. This is getting serious now. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going back to Ethiopia. Oh, okay. And then it will be... Um Harar is another um, old city in, in parts of Ethiopia. And um, the most interesting part about Harar is that um, it was founded in a very um, small um, area, then like the town or the city, and is surrounded by walls. And then you have five entrance of a huge door to get into that um, small town. But of course it has grown, so now... And the inside of the inside of the wall is a Muslim, and then outside of the wall is you know other um, domination um, Christianity. Um, so there's that um, history that you walk into. Um, like you will see like um, a lot of mosques within the walled city. Uh, some of them dated back to 10th century, um, and then there is this um, culture like where all the houses are like almost white. And then as soon as you walk into the house, like it's decorated with like beautiful, colorful uh, rugs and the wall is covered with beautiful, colorful baskets. So it's just like full of colors outside is white. And then you walk in and it's full of colors and you just enjoyed um, being part of that. Um, and then also there is this, I guess I would say it's a tourist attraction now, but it started a long time ago where you feed hyenas. Uh, so there's like hyenas will come like around the sunset and then you just feed them uh, meat. And that was, Sa Sasha was like, oh, I I'll take a picture. You just feed it. <laughs> so I had the opportunity to feed the hyena. Um, so it was, uh, and the people are very laid back and they're very generous. Um, and um, if you're curious about their culture, they will welcome you into their house. So we had the opportunity to explore that. Yeah, Harar is, uh, like if you look at sort of uh, the TripAdvisor top 10 list of places to go in Ethiopia, Harar is not on it. And that's what makes it cool. Um, is Almost nobody goes there. It's like this really old walled city. And these hyenas, I mean, if you know, hyenas kill lions, right? That's like the only predator for lions. And you can go feed them. Minyot actually fed, she's shy, she fed them like from her mouth. It's insane. Um, these are wild hyenas. They just come in the city to eat. I, it's, yeah, it's it's quite an experience. Harar is cool. Oh, and, and some of the best coffee in the world comes from Harar. Yeah. It's okay. literally Harar how, origin coffee. So, How do you spell the name of the city? Uh, H-A-R-A-R. Okay. Some people spell it H A R R A R. So that sounds like a destination that's right up my alley. The way you guys painted the picture with that and the colors and the the walls and everything. That's awesome. All right. We're we're down to the final two. 
hard to believe. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving to animals again. Uh, so safaris are always cool, but um, the, the animal you need to see in East Africa are the, is the gorilla, the mountain gorilla. Um, you can see them in Uganda, Rwanda, or the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, I recommend Uganda, um, not only because I live there, but um, it is uh, cheaper than Rwanda. It's, it's, it's stable. Um, I, I would recommend Congo. I've been to Congo probably 15 times, but um, I go there for work and, and, and it's not always very stable. It's not very stable right now. Um, but um, in southwestern Uganda, uh, there are two places you can actually go and, and track the gorillas in the, in, in the mountains where they live. Um, I took my mom uh, back in the day, um, and you go with your mom's um, quite the adventurous soul. It's like everywhere we go, it's like yeah, my mom was there, and <laughs> well, she's our inspiration, man. She's eighty five now, and and she uh, she trekked in Afghanistan back in the day. Um, she's been all over Iran, like yeah, she's uh, she's awesome. So, uh, but yeah, so so she went on this Uganda. Um, gorilla trip and uh it's amazing there are two different places you can go to windy forest or magahinga i recommend magahinga it's a little bit more off the beaten track um windy can be a bit more crowded um you go with some um soldiers to protect against uh poachers so these dudes with ak-47s follow you around um and and you can get very very close to the gorillas obviously you don't want to touch them because we we carry disease that they could catch and so they could die but um it's cool you really go like you know crouching in the forest and through the mud and mm. it's it's a amazing Legit experience adventure. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah it's cool it's cool um and there's some beautiful areas around there's a, a lake um sort of a, a crater lake called lake Bunyoni, and you can get these dugout canoes and relax on the lake it's it's, it's beautiful so um amazing. yeah that's wow seeing the gorillas okay. okay so that's in terms of gorilla trekking that is the place to go in your opinion if you're more adventurous yeah. Try Kahuzi Biega National Park in the Democratic Republic of Congo. There it's not touristy um, and it's definitely an adventure. And there's lots of other things to see in Congo. It's just not that stable, um, but it, but it, mm-hmm. it's open. Okay, cool. So we got an alternate for the, the super adventurous listening. Okay, number one. Ooh. Okay, drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you liked Zanzibar, you will love Lamu. Lamu is an island in Kenya. It is on the Somali border. So a lot of people are too afraid to go there. Um, It is secure. Um, It's smaller than Zanzibar. It has these like amazing winding streets. Um, Some of the best beaches you'll ever experience. You can go on uh, boat rides with locals. in uh, something called a dhow, it's like these these ships, uh, or a ship is not the wrong word. It's a boat, a big sailboat, basically, um, which are awesome. Um, you can stay in these places for not very expensive, and actually, like they come with a local chef, so they'll cook you the local Swahili food, um, which is amazing. Um, it's easy to get there. You can fly. Um, the place to to be is Shella um, or Shilla, depending on your pronunciation. Um, so. It's uh, it's it it's it's top dog, I think, for for us, yeah. And less touristy than Mombasa because a lot of people go to Mombasa. A lot of Africans, um, when they're thinking of an island in Kenya, they go to Mombasa side. 
than Lamu, but Lamu is much um, more beautiful than Mombasa and less crowded, I would say. Epic list, you guys. Well done. I'm going to need you to send it to me because we'll make sure that we we get it sent out when I publish this episode. If you're listening, listening to it now, it's published. I'll make sure to include it in the newsletter so you have it written out, but you also have heard it here. And of course... You guys should mention where everybody can find you and all the things. So, uh, you know, yeah, this is an opportunity to invite people to get in touch, I suppose. So well, how would you like I, them to I, do that? I, I got a question for you. Are you are you considering a trip to Africa or East Africa? Oh, Jason? yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the thing I want to do is the safari with my kids. That's the obvious thing, right? So there's definitely some inspiration here for that. I'll hit you up offline about that because maybe that's something we need to put together. All right. <laughs> Sounds great. Happy to help. Yeah. So, so our website is www.offthebeatentravel.com. Um, if you're interested in any hidden gems anywhere in the world, um, look it up um, or, or submit your own if you think we missed some or, or you know, have a guest blog. Um, on Instagram, um, uh, I, I'm active. Minyot uh, hates social media, so uh, but I post her all the time. So <laughs> um, I'm Sasha Traveler. Um, so I'm also on LinkedIn, Sasha Lezhnev. You know, whatever you, whatever your your flavor. I'm email Sasha at offthebeatentravel.com. So you know, even Jason responds. So to my emails. So. <laughs> Stop it. Thank you so much. I mean, you guys, I, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of put together the list and and you know, figure out this episode together, which you provide a lot of value here, I think, for people that are looking for new destinations, which I think as travelers, we always are, right? Being able to hit, hear a bit more about your story and hearing you guys, how you know, the background and how you met. And I have way more questions because you've been tr- full-time travelers the last two years, but I'm going to respect your time. I'll let you go. And I'm going to say, let's do this again in person somewhere, perhaps All on right. safari. That would be amazing. Oh, I should say one more thing, Jason. We are um, starting to write a book um, about our travel and how to do the long-term travel thing. It's it, the, the going title is Travel More, Spend Less. So we're just starting this book writing process now. And, you know, maybe a year from now we'll have a, we'll have a book. So um, cool. we'll have to talk to you again. Yeah. Well, keep me posted. Let's stay in touch. And it was such a pleasure to chat with you both. Thank you so much for listening to so many of the shows for being a part of the listening community and for now spending your time to come on and provide value back to the community. And I think that's uh, the, the beautiful circular thing we have going on here. That's why I'm always inviting people to get in touch. So there's a friendly reminder there at the end too, for anybody listening, if they want to bring their own list or, you know, something provide value to the community like you guys have done today. That's what this is all about. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's an honor, really. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for having us, Jason. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Take care. There you have it. What a lovely couple. So great to chat with them. I know we're going to cross paths at some point, and I would love to do it in one of those destination recommendations they had. My goodness. Talk about some sweet hidden gems. I love these hidden gem shows. And I'm going to do more of them. I actually have one coming up on New Zealand here in a short bit. And this is going to become a new series, I think, here on the Zero to Travel podcast, Top 10 Hidden Gems. So if you are a destination expert on a particular place or you just want to get in touch, uh, say hello, share your story, anything, 
please reach out to me. You know where to find me. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. I have a voicemail where you can leave a message easily by just clicking a link. And you can also, of course, sign up for the newsletter to stay in touch. Don't forget to do that. I will share this list that uh, Sasha and Mignot shared today to the newsletter so you can make sure nothing gets lost there. You can do that over at zero to travel.com slash newsletter. Quick shout out to a listener and her name is Madeline. She's from Australia and she said, hi, Jason, I've been listening to you for a few years now. So good to listen to like-minded people. Travel makes me super excited. Funny because I didn't really start traveling until I was 25, but now I want it to be my life. I love listening to your guests and you seem like a decent human being. Well, thank you very much. Uh, she goes on to say, I was in bands and worked in the film, television, and music industry for seven years before I became a flight attendant. Haven't been overseas for 23 years. My father is German. We lived in Cologne until I was three when I became a flight attendant with a major Australian airline, I just kept thinking of new places to go. I've been flying for 31 years now, and my children, 25 and 22, have also done some amazing trips. So recently, my husband asked for a separation, and at 55, I just went, bugger it. What can I do for myself now? So this year has been pretty hard, but the positive is I can travel my butt off. I have a little rental in Melbourne, and I have bought a small, modest beach house in Coffs Harbor, and I wanted to, uh, you to know that I'm doing a gap year in installments. Your guest, Jerry Suster, which is from a past episode, inspired me to do what I really wanted to do. Um, and just goes on to share some of the amazing trips she's had with her daughter recently and some more kind words about the show. And it was just really nice to hear from her. And I just wanted to give her a shout out because that is not easy, right? Um, we come across these things that happen in life. In this case, her husband asking for a separation. Hard time. But uh, turning those lemons into travel lemonade and basically embracing the new situation and using it to fuel her travels inspires me. It's not an easy thing to do. It, it can be in, in a situation like this, you know, you can just be so sad. It's such so much to overcome and, you know, just embracing it and getting out there. And I, I'm like she said, it's hard, but I'm sure it's hard. But I just wanted to give her a shout out for owning it and going for her travel dreams. I think that's a, that's a lovely thing. So congratulations to her. Now to wrap it up, I'll leave you with a couple wise sayings from Ethiopia, at least according to a website I found. I don't know who does SEO for some of these websites and how these get ranked at the top. This one was a collection of Ethiopian proverbs and wise sayings. So it's from duniamagazine.com. Hopefully they're accurate. I have no way to fact check this, but I liked these sayings and I pulled them out and I'm going to share them with you. The first one reminds me of some late nights in the hostel. <laughs> and it is, a good conversation is better than a good bed. And think about that. I mean, that, that just gives me a, a nice montage of memories from my own travels. Late, late nights having incredible conversations with other travelers, with locals all over the place and just kind of thinking, you know what? Like the bed can wait. The bed can wait. This is, <laughs> this is a, this is a wonderful moment. I want to soak up every, every second of it. I like that one. And lastly, these wise words, the heart of a fool is in his mouth and the mouth of the wise man is in his heart. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time for the last installment of Choosing a Life of Travel Week. 
in the next episode. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Peace and love to you. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.